0: Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, good evening. This is welcome to Masterclass Theology. I'm Big Rev, and I'm Professor D. We have the honor of being in Ephesians 2. This is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. And do you like this one, Mick? Hey, isn't that what I said last week? You did. <laughs> and we have, So it's a fun one tonight. So last, last week's session, you know, the, the big idea, it talked about predestination. It talked about God's choice. And that theme is going to continue tonight where it seems like only God's choice is going to make it so anyone could possibly be saved. So we will open tonight with a quick word of prayer, and then we will journey forth. God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for... These podcast listeners who are following with us on this journey, we just are so grateful for your word, and I'm grateful for my friend, Professor D, here, and to journey with me. We just pray that this this time tonight would be equipping for our listeners and glorifying to you, God. Mm -hmm. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are again in Ephesians chapter 2, so let us read verses 1 to 3. My goodness. So it kind of starts with the, uh, the bad news or the maybe the reality check for, for people. But these seem to be their past. So what images does Paul use in these verses to describe their past, Mick? Well, the images Paul uses in, in these
1: three verses are, first of all, and we say they, I'm, I'm going to actually use personal pronouns here. We were dead. Mm. We were dead. We lived in sin. Because this is our story too, isn't it? And I want want to stress in sin, uh, a.k.a. the opposite of identity in Christ. So I think that's a very important distinction to make. We used to be in sin. Now we are in Christ. But nonetheless, that's what we used to live in. Uh, we obeyed the devil. It, Satan was our master. Uh, we were governed by a different nature, a.k.a. the sin nature, lust, decep- uh, destructive desires, appetites.
0: You mentioned the devil. Is that who he's talking about here, this prince of the yeah. power oh, of yeah. the air, a yeah. spirit? Yeah. Because he, he uses a couple interesting ways to speak of the the, the other guy, not, not Christ, but yeah. this prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work. Yeah. Okay, so he's talking about Satan there. He's talking about wow. Satan there. Okay, gotcha.
1: So those, those, those are the, the things that, that Paul uses uh, to describe. Those are the images that he, he, he describes, you know. Sons of disobedience. Sons of
0: disobedience, yeah. Wow, and, and yeah, that's living for, for passions, and my goodness. Uh, so that, that's who, they're following this, this prince of the power of the air, so that's who they're following as they live this way. Children of wrath. What, what does children of wrath mean? Well, as far as uh, children of wrath basically means that
1: um there here's where it comes down to. There are only two children. You're either a cho- uh, you're either children of God who will receive an inheritance and blessings or children of wrath which means that they that you are under the wrath of a holy God because of sin. And again, he he just finished talking
0: about it right there. You were dead in your sins. So when people talk about salvation that seems like what they're saved from, right? Yeah. They're, they're saved from wrath being placed upon their sin. Wrath that's deserved wrath. Yes. It's for God being a holy just God yeah. dispensing his wrath upon that sin. Yes. So if you're a child of wrath, that's really all your story is. Yeah. And the last chapter of your book is essentially your sin.
1: Yeah.
0: And you've got nothing else. hmm Wow, that's that's quite an image. Yeah. And you know, and there seems to be in verse three there. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. Oh my goodness! And that is that describes so many people. I know that describes me. Well, that describes, in my past.
1: Yeah, that is, that describes everybody's past. Mm. That's everybody's past. That's everybody's story. If wow. you're if you're a believer, it's either you. If you're a believer, it's your past. If you're not a believer, it's your present circumstances.
0: So our society tells us to follow our passions and follow our heart and. It sounds like the heart and the desires and the passions—they're not things you want to follow. No. Wow. Uh, yeah. So this is this is quite a bleak picture. What hope does this person have? So oh. he's, he's describing this child of wrath, this person mm-hmm. dead in their trespasses and yeah. sin. What hope does this person Our past, have? Basically, the hope this person has is zero, zip, nada, zilch. On their own. Nothing in their own power, they're not going to. Yeah, but I mean because basically these three verses are people who are living in their own power, mm. in other words, they're really not. They're spiritually dead. Wow. We were spiritually dead, right? Because, like you said, this is our story this too. This is our story. This is why this is one of my favorite chapters. It applies to everyone. And wow. Okay, so that that's the past. That's that's bleak. But you know what? If if you're ever, if if any of our listeners or someone who's ever shared the gospel of somebody, you have to share the bad news to appreciate the good news.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, the bad news is what helps cast mm. the good news.
0: Right. It's like we just had a baptism weekend, and and everyone who's going to get baptized has to admit they're a sinner. Yeah. And that's bad news. Yeah. Because if if you're going to trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. You can't trust in anything else or yourself. Right. You can't trust in your parents, your story so yeah, the the hope that someone has on their own I love how you put that Mick, zero. And that is a very bleak picture. That I cannot on my own save myself. I have no hope to do so. Wow. Well we gotta continue because the bad news sets up some good news. Yeah. Four to seven. But God being rich in mercy. So, how does God's mercy and love factor into this? Back in verse four. All
1: right, so um,
0: you know, mercy and love factor in this because
1: uh, again, we we, are, we start off spiritually dead in verses one through three. We are incapable of doing anything, of, of offering anything to God. We have nothing to offer Him at this point. Mm. You know, God wants to be clear about this, and we give God no reason for Him to do anything favorable or on our behalf. This. I'm gonna call it this favorable has to come from him, it just has to come from God there's just no 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 other way you know we we've we've used the
0: word this favor
1: has to come from God,
0: and we are undeserving of the mercy yeah we, and, and, and he he gives us mercy and it mm-hmm. comes from his love, so we understand that those of us who have all memorized john three sixteen that starts with God's love, yeah. And God's love is the only way anybody is saved. Because why would why would God why would God choose to save someone who was dead in their sins? Yeah. Now we don't know why, but it's linked here to not only mercy, but that mercy is linked to love. Mm-hmm. So for some reason God made in his love chose. Yeah. And so wow, that's there there's there's starting to be hope here. And so in verse five, there's some consequences regarding salvation in verse five. I'll read verse five again. Uh, for our listeners' sake, and even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So what are the consequences of our salvation here?
1: So the consequences are this. As spiritually dead, because that's that's what we're starting off with, we are completely and utterly hopeless to do anything Mm. to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do. Absolutely nothing. Dead can't do nothing. I mean, that's that's, just, that's as bluntly as I could put it. You could say, well, "Well, well, well, you know, when you're dead, you, you you decompose." Yeah, that's happening to you. That's not you doing it. Dead can't do anything. And, and as verse four starts the section, oh, and this is the one time you got to love that 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 phrase. But God, mm. God provided a hope and a solution in Jesus' death and resurrection. As mm-hmm. God and and as a sinless man, Jesus is the only person who could die. To pay for our sins, and then come out of it alive on the other side. Yes, Jesus is the only guy who could pull it off. And as as we saw in Galatians two twenty in our previous series, if we have placed our confidence in Jesus alone to save us, we are spiritually joined with Him in that death and resurrection as of now. So spiritually, we have joined Jesus in that as of now, and will eventually later join Him. In the most literal and physical sense, too, when, when he comes back, like it says in Ephesians one ten. So it falls very well within the context of this. And, and to be sure that that there's no misunderstanding whatsoever about this, Paul makes sure to state it clearly so that you know if, if you're if you're not if you're not the sharpest tool in the shed like me, it's there again. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. He makes that parenthetical statement right in there. Make sure because there are people who are like me. Need these kinds of just to see it that succinctly put.
0: You require the bluntness. I need the bluntness because I am that So the wages of sin is death we learn in Romans. Mm-hmm. And so that works in the sense of a literal death as if you 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 eventually will die mm-hmm. and, and you will you've earned an eternity of separation. Yes. It's just just your sins. And so here that that death is right here. You were dead in your sins. Even yeah. though these people are alive, yeah. when he's speaking to them here, you're dead in your sins. So you have this spiritual separation. You have no hope at all. Yeah. You're dead. And then even in that state, in the state of where sin is now your identity, Yeah, that's when that's when God made you alive yeah. in Christ. Yeah. I, I just love that. And we're told in Romans, you know, while we were God's enemies, you yeah. know, while we were still sinners, Christ died for yeah. us. It's it's, it's that idea that a, a king a king or a general doesn't die for the enemy. They well, d- they, they die maybe for their country or for right, their right. troops. You, you don't you, die you, for the enemy. Right, you might
1: die for a friend, as, as Paul writes right. in that very chapter. But nobody, nobody's going to die
0: for their enemy. And here you have God entering into this story while you were dead in your sins. No hope at all. Mm-hmm. That's when he made. So yep. it's like you had no hope at all, and yep. that's when he gave you the hope. That's when he came in and changed your story. That's right. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's just painting the picture. We're not surprised when back in the last chapter, when when we understand that our salvation is because of God's choice.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, that's what this means here. God right. chose to take someone dead mm-hmm. and make them alive again. Yes. And wow, that is this. I want our listeners to take that in, because that right there is the whole reason you're a Christian. You were dead in your sins, but God. But God, exactly. I, 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 I'm i not a tattoo guy, but if I was a tattoo guy, I know I'm letting myself off the hook. This is one of my tattoos. The Greek is altheou, but guy. I would have U in Greek somewhere on my body if I was a tattoo guy, because that but God is everything. Yes. That is just maybe the two side-by-side greatest words in the Bible. Yeah. Just right there. Yeah. Just, man. Yeah. That's great. Okay, so what is communicated in verses 6 and 7 about God's plan? Okay, just, just as Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, but he, here he, he
1: elaborates on it more. Paul writes that we are joined with Jesus spiritually in everything. We're joined with him in his death. We're joined with him in his resurrection and ultimately in the inheritance. Our union with Jesus will be a constant reminder of God's grace and kindness to us. Why? Because we get to be with Jesus without deserving it. That's grace. It is. That's grace.
0: Because the moment you can say, I earned it, yeah. or I deserve it, it's not grace anymore. Yeah. Wow. Well, we have kind of a secret code here in in these verses. It reminds us of of, of what Paul said back in chapter 1, verse 3, talking about... I believe it's something about we have every spiritual, every spiritual heavenly blessing
1: yeah.
0: in the heavenly spiritual blessing from the heavenly from realms. The, yeah. So yeah. here we have here. Okay. Made us live together in Christ. And verse six raised us up and with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. So, so once again, here we have this idea, two straight chapters of this heavenly places. Mm-hmm. So, What's he talking, does that unpack what he's talking about in chapter 1? Well, as you shared last week, this salvation comes from God,
1: who is the fountain of all blessings. Salvation comes from above. Um, interesting little factoid, in John 3, 3, when Jesus says born again, it literally means born from above. Wow. So our salvation comes from God, from heaven from the heavenlies and the spiritual, and as I pointed out last week, you know, concerning Ephesians one three, is that it is not limited only to spiritual, as in immaterial blessings only. It starts with spiritual blessings and will one day work itself into the ultimate physical blessing, when Jesus returns, as it says in Ephesians one ten, right within that context, just a few verses later. But bottom line, the greatest blessing of all is to be with Jesus literally, face to face, physically. Not 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 earthly prosperity. As some will will can I can see people turn twisting this into, but it, it's about being with Jesus, you know, um, it, and that that's going to be that. Again, not earthly prosperity in the here and now.
0: Yeah, I I love this idea. I had to look up exactly where it was. I believe it's in Hebrews ten, where when Christ had offered this sacrifice once for all, mm. he sat down. Yeah. And I love this image here we have here in—we in, don't know if Paul wrote Ephesians, and I tend to believe—or excuse me, wrote uh, Hebrews. I tend to believe he didn't. But this image here, he has the same image here because we in verse 6, And raised us up with him and seated us with him. So these wow. Ephesian Christians here, they needed some reassurance. And not only yeah. they were dead in their sins, but now God made them alive— and oh, by the way, Jesus, who is, who's accomplished all of salvation, he's sitting down. You're seated with him. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, what? I mean, that is hope, and then hope with accomplishment, right? Yeah. there. Hope with teeth. I mean, it's right there.
1: Yeah, and, and the idea of sitting down versus being, let's say, standing is also the fact that there is intimacy, not just reverence, you know, mm. but intimacy as well. And, and, that, and it, that is the greatest reward of salvation, to have that kind of a relationship in the
0: most, again, literal,
1: physical sense with Jesus.
0: So in the midst of our life, we have assurance not only of our faith, but of our destiny. Yeah. We have, yes, the gospel affects our relationships, but we are secure in the fact that there's a heavenly securement, yeah. securing there. Our, we're seated with Christ. Yeah. I mean, th- this is where we're going to be. Yeah. This is... I mean, I don't know how much more assurance you need. We sing the old hymn "Blessed Assurance." Yeah, there it is. It is. You, it is a lock. You are saved because of God's choice. Because God took you from death to life. Yeah, that you're seated. I mean, there's a reality to your salvation that is almost like a heavenly quality. Yeah, just your destiny. I Mean, my goodness, what a context. And I just, I love that that Paul writes that there because that would have been such a reassuring quality, especially to these Christians. Yeah. In the middle of the Roman Empire.
1: No, and it's very important because for, from our perspective, from our, our point of view, things are happening. In, in God's narrative, he's already got the complete story.
0: Mm.
1: He's already got the whole story written out. We're getting there, but but it's done. It's a done deal.
0: Amen. So let's finish the as these last three verses of the opening paragraph here. They kind of are a summation. So 8 to 10. And these are the ones that, if you've been a memorizer of Scripture in your past, you most likely have memorized either one, two, or three of these verses. These are, these are verses that you hold on to. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God. Not, of, not as a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, Professor D, what is the, the best thing about what these verses communicate?
1: I think the, the best thing that these verses communicate is that God is completely responsible for our salvation. It, it is a gift from him, both salvation and faith, by which, we, by which we receive this salvation. Also, that God has
0: created us anew. Mm-hmm. We're a new creation. Is there any tension here between works and boasting? He mentioned he mentions boasting here. Yeah, and is there any tension with that? Well, if we had done anything to contribute to our
1: salvation, then we might have something that that we can perhaps brag about. But we don't, and and thank God for that because if if, if we are brutally honest with ourselves, none of us is consistent or reliable enough in anything we do. I know I'm not. The fact that our salvation depends completely on God and does not depend on us at all is the most reassuring good news out there,
0: right? Because it does not say by works you have been saved yeah. through faithfulness to those works. Yeah. it's just no grace through faith. Yeah, that's really all you have. I mean, even even in my personal walk, again, my I understand
1: my life through Scripture, not Scripture through my life. But I, this is where I'm so grateful to Scripture because in, in my Christian walk. I walked faithful for a good chunk of time, uh, let's say from the age of 11 to about the age of 30. Then I had that horrible decade right, where I turned my back on God. Man, but but God's faithfulness drew me back in. And I'm so glad because when I consider how inconsistent, how unreliable even my life choices have been, you know, man, I am so glad this
0: this depends on him. Amen. Me too. Now, let's go to verse 10. And verse 10 speaks of works, where we just, we just learned yeah. that our salvation is not because of works. No. But now, what kind of perspective does verse 10 give us about works, though? Yeah,
1: I think the perspective that, that verse 10 gives us is that God created us for good works, not because of it. Wow. And, and good works is, is the byproduct of our salvation. It's not the cause. And I think we need to get the order right. You know, the order is very important in these things. The carriage and the horse, the carriage can't go in front of the horse. the horse has to go before the carriage, and it's the same thing here, you know salvation comes before our good works. In fact, Jesus himself made it, said it in um, mark 10:18 that no one is good except for God anyways, and, and as Romans 3:12 reminds us, quoting a, a psalm, I forgot to see which psalm it was, but no one does good, so no, I need that
0: salvation to be in place. I need, I need it to be a lock. Well, we mentioned the heavenly the heavenly realms earlier as a link yeah. to chapter 1. I think there's another link to chapter 1 here. Because in chapter 1, we learned that they were chosen by God. Yeah. That anybody who's a Christian, that choice was made by God yeah. before the creation of the world. Yeah. So, here in verse 11, yeah, or two so verse So, 10, we're getting a
1: prequel to Genesis
0: 1-1. Again, so we have, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And you just handled that really nicely, Mick which God prepared beforehand. Wow. So is this another beforehand? Is, is this a link? Yeah. Is is If, if you're doing any good works, that sounds like as God's workmanship, God is prepared. He's already prepared beforehand. The good yeah. things you're going to do. Do I have that right? Yeah, right. yeah.
1: I, I mean, Paul's nothing if not thorough when he writes. And so <laughs> to be chosen beforehand means that God chose us not because of a reason, But he did choose us for a purpose. Right. And the fact that God has a purpose for us is separate and independent from our earning or deserving anything. Um, It has nothing to do with us and everything to do with, as we saw in the earlier verses, with his love, which fuels his grace and mercy. Uh, Right. The two are not incompatible. You know, they they are complementary and frankly make sense as long as you understand it correctly.
0: So when James says, faith without works is dead. Paul would add, "Yeah, but those works were prepared beforehand for you to do." Yeah, God, God has already led you to yeah. that season, and He's leading you to do these good works. Yeah, I remember
1: watching like a Discovery Channel type of thing, or one of those uh, History Channel shows where they try to cast it like like James and Paul were beefing with each other, and I'm like, you, "Clearly, you guys are not understanding it in its proper context." <laughs> well. and, and sadly, you know, as we all, or as many of us probably know. This is the sad story of even um the great reformer, Martin Luther himself, who uh, famously tore the book of James out because he had a hard time reconciling that.
0: Hmm. Well, that, that right there, those 10 verses are, that's, to, that's top of the line. Right that is there. spiritual gold, my friends. That is spiritual gold it, of the highest quality. Wow. So, I, I mean, I almost don't want to continue. I just want to stop there. We have to continue and finish to. the chapter. But my goodness, that was... Hey, and especially for us, this next part is good. Yeah, yeah, this is good. I just I just, want, yeah. I just wanted to sink in that verses one to ten. I don't think have an equal. No, and they, they may not be the best, but just what they communicate, those ten verses grew me up as a Christian. That way, I, I came into. Well, they grew you up. They fast forwarded me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I came in thinking salvation is all about me and me and no, no, no. Chapters one and two reminded me that the fact that I'm saved is all about God, all about mm-hmm. God and God's choice and what God's at work doing. So the next section here, we'll begin with the verses 11 and 12. Therefore, so he says, therefore, just as a, okay, the first section there is good. Now, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ Alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. My goodness. So, in what ways does Paul describe their past here? Uh, with their meaning, Gentiles,
1: and at this time in salvation history, we need to be clear that is those who would be spiritually furthest in the in the salvation spectrum. Paul is essentially that uh, saying that that they were the that uh, i'm sorry paul is essentially saying that the jews at least had god's revelation Mm. and knew who the one true god was where the gentiles didn't even have that going for them. they
0: had apollo and zeus and all
1: those guys that's all
0: they really had yeah
1: i mean and throughout the history of the world numbers of jews were saved and almost no gentile was saved i mean you got a rare one like rahab here or
0: Ruth. Ruth.
1: Yeah. And but that, that was about it. You like really Ma- didn't have, maybe Maaman, yeah, at some point. Very few were saved. I maybe mean, what you think about Nebuchadnezzar, maybe, but maybe. And maybe. Yeah. But but that's the whole point. Bottom line is like you could you can count like a thousand Jews perhaps to to every one Gentile that might have been saved at that point. So the idea is that they were spiritually furthest away from the spectrum. On a whole Gentiles were pagans. Uh too few were were saved before Christianity as we just finished saying they 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 worship false gods and they, they lined up their sinful tendencies that way too. Think about it. For instance, um, part of their their worship involved what orgies. Oh, oh well, darn. I'm gonna take one for the team in orgy. You know how convenient. You know that this is part of your your your. Oh well, our God requires us to have orgies, so I guess you know. Oh, what sacrificial worship we have here. And that that's who the unsaved Gentiles were. They, they indulge in every sinful appetite with, rec- with reckless abandon. The key to note in these verses are the phrases used to, used to be, and were. All of these are past tense. This represents a before
0: and after story. So it sounds like, to go back to the opening verses yeah. of our chapter... You could have been a Jew, but yeah. essentially you were like a, a spiritual Gentile, yeah. following and, and, the passions. No, and
1: this is really cool, because I'm glad you brought that up. Because again, in the opening part of the chapter, he's he's being more broad. Mm. He's talking about all Christians of all times. And then here, he's hunkering down to a more specific, more recent development. And, he, he, and he's and he's showing
0: the parallels between the two. Right. Now, I, I as a guy, I, I, don't, I don't really like using the word circumcision and, and that kind of stuff. And I... I remember we just got done doing Galatians. Yeah. There was a lot of this external stuff, and the circumcision idea came up numerous yeah. times. Yeah. It, would you say there's a link with the Galatian context here?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, with, you know, with the Gentiles being referred to as, as the uncircumcised and the Jews referred to as the circumcised, the big connection to the That's the big connection right there with Galatians. Uh, Jews emphasize circumcision, which in the context of this chapter two is, what is it? It's an outward activity and, and the symbol of work. Uh, but their hearts were not with God, and he and he say that, says that right there. You know, they didn't trust God for salvation. Um, you know, no work can save us; only God. So it goes back to why any other gospel would be false because of that notion.
0: So even the best works that honor God the most from the Torah, yeah, are still works. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, kind of a good modern equivalent of that self would be kind of like to
1: read flesh as almost a self help. Wow, no, nobody can self help themselves
0: into salvation right so if 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 you are not saved by works why would you think a work is going to yeah eradicate your separation from god yeah there's no hope of that yeah and so yeah that's a great just a a great overall point here what about verse 12 what's going on in verse 12 the idea of i'll read it again remember that you were at, at that time separated from christ alienated from the commonwealth of israel strangers to the covenants of promise Having no hope without God in the world. Yeah, what's his point here? I think
1: the point in verse twelve is that Gentiles again were, we're the people who were who were furthest from the the hope of salvation ladder, and, and and again the emphasis here is were and Jesus is the big game changer in all of this.
0: Wow,
1: Jesus changes this whole thing.
0: Yeah, it, it reminds me of in a to flip it around just a little bit. It reminds me when Jesus talks about he's making this this contrast with the poor and the rich Mm -hmm. and the disciples say boy how hard must it be for a rich man to get to heaven kind of thing to 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 inherit and to inherit internal life and because the poor at least have this dependency about them yeah there's something about them that naturally depends on god because that's all they have is the desperateness of the situation so here to flip it around the gentiles they not only were separated from everything, but they had no hope at all. The Jews yeah. at least had a basic hope. Yeah. And the God who delivered them from Egypt might deliver them from something. Okay. Yeah. So, but, but the Gentiles illustrate the fact that they're about as separated, like you said, about yeah. as separated as it gets, they are the living embodiment of no hope. Yeah. And so they are the perfect analogy yeah. for sinners like you and me. Right. Because on our own, that goes back to the beginning. Yeah. We are those Gentiles. Yeah. We have no hope. We have no leg to stand on. We have nothing that we can hold on to on our own, in our own power, in our own story. Nothing. And it just goes to show the far-reaching power of
1: God mm. in saving anybody who he chooses to.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. We, we have no idea why God chooses, mm-hmm. why God chooses to save some. Yeah. But God, yeah. that's his choice. Yeah. And Wow. Okay, so we continue with 13 to 17 and kind of a, a big bigger chunk here. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Wow. Well, will start, Professor D. Uh, how did the blood of Christ solve the separation issue from verse 12? Well, here's the thing. Jesus' death saves those furthest from the spiritual spectrum
1: as much as it saves those who were closest to, to it. Uh, it goes all the way back to the promises that God made in Genesis. The two that I'm going to highlight are, are Genesis 3.15, and I want us to keep that in perspective. Uh, 3.15, what's so important about it? It is way before there was an existence of the Jewish nation. In other words, that promise of the Messiah was really meant for mankind. Yeah. Okay, so before there was even a Jewish nation, God already promised a Savior for humanity. Later in Genesis 12.3, God kind of narrows it or funnels it in a bit, and he promises to save people via the seed from the nation of Israel. But notice, he never says only the nation of Israel, but through the nation of Israel. God's intent in creating the nation of Israel was to unite all peoples in salvation through Jesus, the seed that he promised.
0: Wow. What, what, what a concept. Yeah. That we were once separated, yeah. we were alienated, yeah. and we were strangers outsiders no no hope Mm -hmm. without god yeah it gets no bleaker than that no we might as well been dead in fact we 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 were were. told we were dead that's right it's just there's no hope at all my goodness we were gentiles of gentiles yeah absolutely no hope wow what work did Jesus do regarding the powers of law? He brought up laws and ordinances? Yeah, I mean, that—that that, I, I, you know what?
1: I'm glad he did. Because here's the thing, that by doing everything that the <laughs> law and ordinances required, Jesus essentially, I, I, I'm thinking of this along the lines of a computer program. Uh, when, when a computer program fulfills its, its, its programming, it becomes obsolete. So Jesus, in fulfilling the law, he didn't come to get rid of the law, he came to fulfill it, so that way it would kind of like, End the game, so to speak. And once the function has been
0: completed, that program, in this case the law and the ordinances, they're obsolete. Because what we learned, especially in Galatians, mm-hmm. the power of the law yeah. was, was to condemn us. Yeah. In fact, Paul in the Galatians described it as, like, a, 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 it puts us in shackles. Yeah. It, it, it enslaves us. It, it, it imprisons us. There's, yeah. there's something about the law that all it can do is remove all hope. Yeah, It's just basically revealed that, okay, I have sinned. Yeah, It reveals that I am the sinner in need of salvation. That's all I can do. Like you said, the program runs its course. And so there has to be something new. Yeah. And so otherwise, if there's going to be any hope at all, then Jesus must now deal with these laws and commandments. Yeah. And so he's kept those laws. He himself did not break those laws. And so he is uniquely qualified to take a separated person from God. Yeah. And to reconcile them, bring them near again. Yep. So he, beautifully said. He didn't get rid of the laws. No. But he got he 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 got rid of, I guess the power of the law. Sin doesn't have to be the last chapter of no, the book. No. I mean, bottom line is he satisfied the law. Satisfied.
1: Yeah, he satisfied the law so that he took away whatever the law.
0: You know damaging effect of the law by satisfying it, and what's this hostility he kept talking about? there's peace now when where once there oh, was yeah. hostility what's the hostility so so
1: we have to understand that God is teaching you know an object lesson through Israel's history on the importance of being you know when we look at the Old Testament of being separated and holiness the Jews were to be God's representatives to the nations with the hope of them leading people to God and while at the same time not being corrupted by their pagan neighbors uh unfortunately they're you know again, there were there are too few examples of Gentile pagans saved in the old testament so so there was this spiritual division because of that, you know because the Jews had to be God's representatives and they had to be holy and separate. so there was a spiritual division between Israel and her neighbors. Jesus came to reconcile all peoples to God uh Israel first for sure, but not to the exclusion of all other peoples. Jesus lived that sinless life, he died and resurrected for for that salvation of, of, of all of the people that God prepared for beforehand. Once again, that word beforehand. For salvation. And that includes Gentiles and anyone who at the moment is is furthest away from God. You know, if, if God chose that person in eternity past, and this is what he's been developing all this time. Mm-hmm. If God chose that person in eternity past, regardless of anything, doesn't matter what their race, creed, you know, nationality, you know, skin color, gender, none of that matters. That person will be saved.
0: Period. There's a lot about people's stories that might be hostile. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you take your you take your culture, making my culture, and we have different you know we have different races, we have different kind of heritages, that kind of stuff. You go back a couple generations, there might be some serious hostility there yeah. between our two people groups. Right. Yeah, the jets and the sharks. You know. There you go. But but the one thing we have here for for those of our listeners, like okay, wow. Well, this might have been, in, in, in the first century world, it was Jew and Greek. Other times it might be slave or free or black or white. It doesn't matter what the two groups are because we all of us who belong to Jesus, who have been reconciled, who are saved, our differences don't matter. Yeah. That, that hostility now, because he says here that... He has reconciled us both to God, yeah, so we both of us now, so whatever we have whatever we have that is different about us that the, our world loves to divide us, our world is kind of like a cultural marxist concept where we'll put everybody into groups and we'll get the groups jealous of each other, yeah, and so there's conflict, and there's hostility yeah. and here Paul's saying, yeah, there's hostility there, but what matters more, your yeah. divisions or the one part of your story that right. might be the only part that you have in common, Christ, yeah. and so He has reconciled you both. Yeah. So and whatever hostility there is, not the, mo- the most important thing anymore. No, and,
1: and that's a very important point because again, there first has to be peace between us and God mm. before we can even have peace with each other. So yes. God had to create this peace with us and Him, and in His creating that peace for us and Him, that opens the well. It it breaks down the walls. That separated us from each
0: other. Right. And speaking of peace, that's very nicely put, Professor D. Speaking of peace, uh, the last question about peace here. Peace for those who are far off and also for those who are near? What yeah, What basically is that all? The bottom
1: line is what he's saying is Jesus works it the same for everyone. Jesus creates peace for everyone. It doesn't matter if you came from the most antagonistic If If, if Christopher Hitchens were to be saved, you know even someone like him could be saved. I mean, some of the, the most famous or higher profile Christians that are saved are people who were very hostile towards God. People like Lee Strobel, C.S. Lewis, guys who, who professed to be atheists and then came to the realization that,
0: that Jesus was real. You might even argue that the Jews of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, those mm-hmm. would be the near ones, yeah. the ones that they thought they were on God's team, yeah. and yet they missed the Messiah yeah. right there. And and so maybe those are the ones who are near, and then you've got the people that are just the far off the Gentiles. Well, here's 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 a kind of a uh,
1: way a cool way to explain it. Near being synonymous with almost, you know, almost alive, and near alive means you're still dead.
0: Right. It do, it doesn't matter how far you're separated from mm-hmm. God, you're separated from God. Yeah. And you if if you're almost there, you still need that yeah. peace. I almost won means I lost. Right, right. <laughs> yes, and it's I, like, it doesn't matter. You could be the farthest Gentile out there and God chose to save you. Or you could be the most faithful Jew possible, i.e. Paul. Yeah. And it wasn't enough. No. And so not even the most faithful Jew, Jew of Jews. Yeah. He couldn't do it. So those who are far off, if God's chosen them, boom. Those who are near, if God's chosen them, boom. Yeah. They're equal now. Yeah. There's no hostility anymore. They're all saved by grace through yeah. faith, by God's choice. That's it. Yeah, that's it. There's, if, no, if works could do it, then near and far would mean something. Right. Because like, all of a sudden now, Paul could have said, you know what? I've got all these works. Yeah. And as we're going to learn in our next book in Philippians, the works are just a bunch of garbage. Yeah. They don't matter to anything. I think a really cool
1: example like in Jesus' earthly ministry is uh, the stories of those resurrection incidents that Jesus had. Oh, don't bother coming. They died already. Wow. And Jesus is like, "Nope, it doesn't matter. I can heal a person who is dying and I can heal the person that is dead."
0: Wow. That's how I roll. So 18 to 22, for through him we have both access, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you but you are fe- you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Wow. So what unity, Professor D., what unity exists in Christ that didn't exist before. Well,
1: now, Gentiles, along with Jews, can be a part of God's family.
0: Equally. Equally. No division, no division, no, no hostility. Second,
1: there's no second-class Christians. No second-class. Galatians made that clear. And this book comes out on the heels of Galatians or after Galatians.
0: Grace God. is grace. Grace is grace. God gives the gift to whomever God gives yeah. the gift to. And all who open that gift are the same equal recipients. Mm-hmm. Okay, doesn't matter. No, nope. If they're, you know, Genghis Khan kind of Mongolian Gentile of Gentiles, or Paul, Pharisee himself, yep. doesn't matter. Okay, wow, that's that's great. There's unity there. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, well, who we who we have in common is more important than what we don't have in common. Exactly. It's massive. Wow. What metaphors does Paul use to further describe that?
1: Besides the family, Paul says that we are all part of a of a house and also part of God's temple.
0: Wow. And speaking of that temple, he talks about growing into a whole. How does this holy temple grow? What's that all about?
1: Well, it says that we grow as a temple by being united with Jesus. Notice that that's that's the big thing. You have to be united with Jesus. You have to be
0: in him, as as it's worded there. Yeah, it's almost as if he's still building this building. Mm -hmm. That there's a foundation that was laid, and now we are the edifice on top of that foundation. Yeah. And so now God is growing his family. Yeah. And as history progresses, God keeps adding more. And God has chosen, I mean, if God has chosen everybody for salvation, we also understand that God has chosen the number of years. Yeah. And even though it's, you know, now we're sitting here 2,000 plus years after Ephesians, my goodness, but oh well. It's like God is still adding people to his family. He's still building this temple. So I'm glad that this temple keeps growing. Yeah, I mean, it, it just goes to show how
1: grander the scope is of salvation than any of us imagine. I would imagine the first century Christians probably thought, okay, this is great, there's a lot of us that are saved, but they had no idea the thousands of years of compounded people that God was going to be adding on. Mm. And, and and the likes of you and me we, we and, and everybody listening, we need to be grateful because in allowing 2,000 years for us to come into to life now we too are part of it and I, I mean god can come tomorrow or he may come in another billion years it, it's his call
0: right yeah we we are this building with the cornerstone being christ yeah. i'm I'm enjoying the ride joined together that there there's unity once again yeah. verse 21 so now help us bring the home professor d in him verse 22 in him so in christ you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So that's, that's like a Trinity yeah, verse there. Yeah. There's all three are present in that verse. Yeah. So what does that mean? Is, is that more of a corporate thing, or is, there, is this an individual? How, how does this dwelling place of God by the Spirit, what's that all about? All right, well, well, while this
1: can be true of an individual, it can be. The the emphasis here, though, is the, the usage of you is more in the sense of y'all. Uh, you know, I think it's a better understanding of it. Right. So y'all... So I believe it's this to be in the corporate sense. And in other words, it's the church, body of Christ, um, especially in light of the fact that Paul is talking about unity and coming together.
0: Right.
1: You know, as as one
0: in in this book, and especially in these two chapters that we've read. So we're not looking at this and saying, "Well, I'm the I'm the dwelling place of God," mm-hmm. as if the focus is on no. me as an individual. No. He's writing this to a church of individuals, but right. he's speaking to them as, in, like you said, the y'all. Yeah. You know, there's something going on here about your church and also maybe the capital C church. You know, like if this was written by Texans, it would have said y'all. Yeah. So we're, be, those who are being joined together, that's where God's going to dwell by the Spirit. Yeah. And wow. So that's Ephesians chapter two. Uh, let, let's lay in the plane, Professor D. What are your closing thoughts?
1: Well, my closing thoughts are, t- are two things. I'm gonna start off with this one, you were dead. Mm. And the other one, but God. So you were dead, but God. And, and and here's the thing. I was hopelessly dead. We were hopelessly dead. And and out of love, Creator God made a provision to give us life. We we didn't give him a reason to get, to save us, but in saving us, he gives our life purpose and meaning.
0: Mm. Yeah. It, the way I used to describe this chapter, I still do, is like a hospital, mm-hmm. and the dead part. The, the, there's basically two wings of the hospital. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Christians out there, a lot of a lot of people who are more on the kind of the free will side of the argument, and they they like to argue. They they sometimes think that that we're yeah we're sinful and we, we and our sin leaves us without any options, but the wing of a hospital that, that we like to imagine we, or that person likes to imagine they're in is the ICU. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're the, in the ICU wing. Things are dire. Things are just really bleak and you don't have much hope, but you're not quite dead yet. You're just kind of, okay, if you take your medicine, you know, you, God's going to give you the medicine. And you're going to take the medicine. There's something about doing this together. And now you're going to be saved. And so God's going to do his part. I'm going to do my part. and, Eventually, I'll make it out of the ICU. Mm -hmm. And that's the image of salvation that many people hold on to. And the reason why Ephesians chapter 2 grew me up, because that was me. I used to think, you know what? God's going to make salvation available. It's my responsibility to choose it. It's my responsibility to obey God. It's my responsibility to say, yes, Jesus, and to say a prayer, and to get on God's team. It's all about me. And this just knocked that out of the park. because. There's a second wing of the hospital, and that ho- that wing is in the basement, the sub basement. That wing is the morgue, and I th- believe that's what Paul's talking about here. You're not in the ICU, you're in the morgue. Right. You're dead. There's people don't come out of the morgue. Right. They're they're in a drawer, and they pull them out and they, they they ID them, and that's it. Maybe they do you know medical examinations on them, but that's it. You once you're in the morgue, you're done. Yeah, and that's the image of Ephesians too. Yeah. Not the ICU, not that, okay, you just got to keep keep tarrying and striving and, 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 and obey God and, and, and take God's offer of salvation, and here it is, and you can partner with God, and there you are. Just take your medicine. You'll get out of the ICU. Yeah. No, no, you're dead. Yeah. You're in the morgue. If God doesn't, if God doesn't intervene, if that but God doesn't happen, yeah. you're forever screwed. You're forever in that morgue. The object lesson I tie to Ephesians 2, and I always
1: tell this to everybody, and and I, and I share this as often as, as I get an opportunity. This is John chapter eleven. Lazarus is dead. There's nothing he can do. No hope. You know, Mary, Martha, Jesus, if you would have shown up a little earlier, because that, that's the idea. You're dead. You're hopeless. That's the general... And he waited. Yeah. He could have gotten there. Yeah. And that's the whole point. You are dead. That is the picture. Until Jesus calls your name, you're dead. Our only hope is Jesus calling us. That is it. And, and you know, to, to the other thing you were talking about, you know, that we, we, the whole thing with the free will. You know, you, you, you took me back to uh, Galatians four nine. It says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather... To be known by God. Wow! You see, we can say it this way, but we have to understand that that's not the way it really is. The way it really is, it's God.
0: You know, Paul adds it in there in verse verse eight, and this is not your own doing. Mm -hmm. Because if you're in the ICU, there's Mm -hmm. some things you can do. Yeah, you can rebound again. Lazarus dead. Nothing. Not your doing. You've got you're you're in the picture yourself, oh listener. Picture yourself. In your past, dead in your trespasses mm-hmm. and sin, you're in the morgue. There's no hope for you, no. nothing. Nothing. That's why, that's why when we learned about predestination last week, when we learned about God's choice last week, if God doesn't breathe life, it's the same idea with, with, the, with Ezekiel's dry bones. Yeah. If God doesn't breathe life into those dry bones, they're going to stay dry bones. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what we have here. You're not leaving the morgue unless you're alive. And people in the morgue don't become alive. It never happens. Mm -hmm. That is describing grace. That is grace. That is God's choice and God's choice. That's all we have. It's not your doing. So if if you believe salvation is of your doing, Ephesians 2 and chapter 1 and 2, I would expect them to stick in your craw. Yeah. They stuck in mine. I mean, they they, uh, transformed my Christian thinking process. Wow. Wow. And, you know, and the other thing, I mean, I... Professor D, you know, he, he chose where I was born to land the plane as well. But just as a reminder for the second half of, of, of chapter two here, what unites us mm-hmm. is more important than what divides us. Yes. Our world wants to divide us. It wants to divide us by all these different categories. But just remember, oh, Christian, who you have in common, Jesus, Amen. is more important than what you don't have in common. And we have to remember that. Yeah. Because... He has brought all of us that he that he's chosen, doesn't matter where we come from, we've mm-hmm. all been brought near. Yep. We're all reconciled the exact same way. Kind of like we all have the same DNA, we all have the same blood, we all bleed red. It's like we're all saved the same way. There's no second class, first class, third class, no. So who who we have in common is... More important than what we don't have in common. Amen. What a chapter tonight, Mick. Yeah, it's an amazing chapter. Wow. Well, we continue next week, and we uh, with a chapter three, and my goodness, I uh, Ephesians one and two, they are top of the line theology. Yeah. And this is, I came into Ephesians chapter one and two, bluntly speaking, as Armenian as it comes, once a long time ago. Yeah. And I left. I left. Uh, changing my tune. Yeah. Because if this is about my choice, I've, I've got no hope. Yeah. And uh, I'll never choose right, but God chose. That's right. And that's the hope we have. What, what, what a couple chapters here. My goodness. This has been Masterclass Theology. I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. See you next week. Bye. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode. And I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.